Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, believers, and what is up, Bear Down Nation? This is the Believe in Bears podcast, and I am your host, Cameron Lee. And I am Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NBA, the NHL, the playoffs, they're in full swing. The MLB is in the stretch run, and our partners at BetOnline have got you covered. And let me just tell you right now, if you had a bet on Luis Robert hitting a home run, or perhaps a home run that extends past 450 feet, you would have won some cash today. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your first welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Cameron, what do we got coming up on the pod today? I think we need to talk about the NFC South, the running back action that's going on down there. Obviously, well, with the news of Leonard Fournette becoming available, I think it uh, saw we think we saw a bunch of Chicago Bears fans perk their ears up about the possibility of having a Leonard Fournette in their backfield. Obviously, those dreams have quickly been dashed, but I think his, with his uh, presence in Tampa Bay, we should at least talk about that from a football perspective and and what it means. But also, we need to talk a little bit about Alvin Kamara. And, you know, again, another another trade where, you know, Bears fans can go ahead and get their hopes up on that. I, I wouldn't if I were you, but I think we need to talk about all these things. So, Joey, what do you, do you think about uh, the uh, – we'll start with the Fournette to Tampa Bay signing. Well, of course, when Leonard Fournette hits the street, a Bears fan's ears perk up. And we were already texting, figuring out ways – different bouquets, different kinds of maybe chocolate arrangements we could have sent to Mr. Fournette to entice him to come to Chicago. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. And what can I say? Fairly typical Bears move, happy with what they have in-house. We're going to roll with the guys that we got. And I want to ask you, you know, when we were texting, you seemed very intrigued by Leonard Fournette uh, coming to the Bears and that he could be a fit. I read a couple of things online about how some people thought that he didn't have the lateral quickness on the outside to fit into the Bears scheme. What do you make out of that? And why do you think he would have been a fit? Well, I mean, we've hit on this so many times, depth, 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 depth. They just lack it, period. Does that mean that bringing in Leonard Fournette, comes? he comes in and fixes all the problems? I don't think so necessarily. Schematically, you know, he's more of a downhill runner. He's someone that you know, can definitely make an impact running between the tackles. He may lack some of that lateral quickness on the edge, but the Bears just need bodies, period. We've already hit on it. David Montgomery's injury, uh, who knows how long that will last, but it's definitely something that you have to take into consideration. Into consideration. Tariq Cohen, we've covered it, is not a first, second down back. So we just need someone that can carry the major part of this workload. I don't care if it's someone who may lack the lateral quickness to be explosive on the outside, we just need a body, a qualified and competent body. And Leonard Fournette, I believe, is definitely that. You would think a quality back that could get you a couple extra yards on an offensive line that you want to bounce back this season, but you're not sure if they're going to be as solid as you want them to be right out of the gate. It seemed like it made sense. But there's some other guys out there, too, as well. You mentioned Alvin Kamara and my only rub with Alvin Kamara is, A, the price tag will be huge. And we're still sort of not living off the scars, but still sort of paying the price a little bit for the Khalil Mack trade. We do want to, you know, draft in the first round next year. We think that that might be a good idea, especially if we have a quarterback that we have to target in that draft. Plus, on top of that, you're going to have to pay him money. It sort of works out where you could give him a four-year deal, and by the third year, Montgomery's up for his money, and you can maybe move some stuff around. Is, is the talent worth the juice of that squeeze there to pay him and give up that draft capital, Cameron? Yeah, it seems to me like if we would be able to trade for Alvin Kamara, you're kind of getting him as a rental for this year because you're going to get him on the deal that he's currently on, which is the one that he's unhappy with, and then you're going to have to come back and pay him next year. I don't know that it's something that's really in the cards. So I, I don't see where the Bears can come up with enough capital, and if they do, you might be in that situation where you're talking about is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, Kamara will be entering, I believe it would be his fifth season. Uh, and, you know, he's a, he's a great player, ton of upside. Um, he has had some injury, but I, I'd love to see him in, in a Bears uniform. I'd love for that to be, you know, the, the, the centerpiece of this offense that we're looking for. But you would be having to give up so much. And with the Bears' uh, history of trading away first-round picks, you know, we might just want to have – 
one in the chamber and ready to go because like you just mentioned and I hadn't even considered this the Bears might need a new quarterback next year <laughs> so we got to be ready we got to be ready for that if that person happens to be there and if and if that draft spot happens to come up so if I'm the Bears right now I'm not really looking to to give away any more draft picks if I don't have to Bears quarterbacks it's like leap year you kind of forget it's the year but it could possibly be the year we're going to have to dive back in and that's kind of that's something that they have to keep in the back of their minds. The thing with Alvin Kamara is, yeah, huge investment, but huge payoff. He would be unbelievable on the Chicago Bears. I think from a fantasy perspective, he would perhaps still be that top five presence, maybe even a little bit higher because they would give him as many touches as possible. I want to go to the well one more time before the season starts. Le'Veon Bell. It, it, he came out today. He was talking to Adam Gase, and he was like, everything's cool. We're cool. Me and Adam Gase, we text all night long. We talk. We're buddies. I still don't believe it. I just feel like that they're even talking about he could be cut at some point during the season. Maybe the Bears wait out that situation, but it just feels like if they want to make a move on somebody, and it's not going to be Devontae Freeman, and it certainly wasn't Leonard Fournette, Lev Bell seems like he could have the price tag where you could do you know fifth or sixth rounder. It could get juicier based on certain incentive hits, and you can maybe take on that contract for one or two more years, and then that's the true rental. Then you can trade him. You still, you're still not on board. You still don't believe – you believe that he maybe has lost a step and it might not be the move the Bears want to make? I'm certain that Le'Veon Bell has lost a step. Um, it's been a few years since he's been the Le'Veon Bell that has gotten all of our attention. And there are some guys that you just hold on to too long and there are some guys that you know when to cut bait with. My, I guess, appreciation of Le'Veon Bell is that, you know, this man was amazing for a time. That time has passed. He's the type of person that also comes with a lot of drama. He's the type of person that is a is a locker room, you know, can be a locker room nightmare. And if you're not going to be carrying your weight, if you're not going to be at the top of your game, I don't think it's worth bringing on all of that. So, and especially considering that Coach Nagy dropped the quote this week that he's just really, I, I'll just say we really like where we're at right now with our running back room. He maybe he sees something that I mean we're not there all the time we don't see this so he must know something that we don't know but he doesn't sound like the type of man that's interested in bringing on uh, the Le'Veon Bell situation they obviously weren't interested in Fournette so they they must have something they really like there. Artavis Pierce late round fantasy flyer you heard it from Matt, Matt Nagy's subtext first <laughs> we'll see about that and the thing with Le'Veon Bell too is he always just seems to be not on the same page with his team. You know, team comes out with a statement, coach comes out with a few quotes, and then Le'Veon Bell immediately refutes it within 24 hours. That does not seem to be the culture that Mac Nagy has cultivated over these last couple of years. That alone perhaps puts a red flag on that situation. And it might be a situation where it's Tariq Cohen and Cordero Patterson in the backfield in week one, and we're just going to have to see how that goes. Yeah, like we mentioned before, the little gadget backfield, we've got the We've got the running back who is essentially just a the human joystick, if you will, but not someone that we're comfortable giving him too many carries between the tackles. And then we've got this giant wide receiver who's converting to a to a running back who's really more of a return man specialist. You know, if this were college, if this was 2009 and I'm Chip Kelly, I'm fascinated. You know, I'm fascinated by the possibilities. It seems a little gimmicky for the NFL, but... You never know. Give it a shot. We'll see. We still have Nick Foles, so that could still possibly work out somehow in some sort going, of Kelly situation. I cannot wait for the Wildcat backfield with Foles and Trubisky. They're split out wide, and <laughs> Trubisky <laughs> tries to set a pick and set him up on a slant. So I think what we wanted to get into in this episode is a little fantasy football, but first, before we do it, quick shout-out. Shout-out to our head coach of the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy, because clearly, Cameron, he was listening to the pod because last time we were on, we were trying to just figure out why in the hell he told reporters that he would not reveal his number one quarterback until the night of, or the night before week one within 24 hours, he backtracked on that said he will name a starter next week. You know, any, uh, any words of advice to Matt Nagy? Cause you know that he's listening right now. Or are you just happy that he probably uh, did the right thing? And, and at least like you said, you pointed it out so perfectly that the team needs to get behind somebody for four or five days, get the mental reps, get the game plan with the guy that they know who it's going to be. And it looks like we're probably going to find out early next week. Coach Nagy, I'm flattered that you're listening. 
that you're taking my advice, that you believe in me, that you trust me. You didn't trust me enough to keep me on your team back in 2018. Ruined my life. Thank Shots you very fired. Much. But, <laughs> but, but also, you know, good job for listening because yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you were just like completely in the dark or if he was just trying like this really bold strategy, but it's not really a good idea. People don't do that for a reason. You need to know who's the guy. I've, I said it probably four times in a long soliloquy of a rant last week or last episode, but the team needs to know who the guy is. So I'm glad that he backtracked. I can't wait to find out who it is. And you know what though, just to your credit, like you, you've been in those rooms before and you know what it's like to be around a group of guys. And you talked so eloquently about the quarterback in the last episode about how important that is to not just, you know, the offense, but to the team and to all the different units that go into the offensive package and that these guys need to know. And I'm sure Matt Nagy also, someone pulled him aside and said, Hey, look, man, I know what you just tried to do, but guess what? We've also got reporters in this town who are pretty damn good. And whether you like it or not, this information is probably going to come out before you would like to announce it. So do you want to make it seem like that you're in control of the situation and you announce who's the number one quarterback? Or would you rather have, you know, uh, wonderful reporters like Adam Hogue, Jeff Dickerson, Dan Weirder, or Patrick Friendly, someone like that break the story. And then they already know the information and are asking you questions and you're not in control of the situation. Yeah, a little damage control, a little bit of a ba- of a backpedal. Someone, uh, someone got a hold of Nagy, dropped a little advice on him. So I think this is for the best. I, I truly do. If it was gamesmanship, like we mentioned before, it's bold. It's very bold. But I think as far as just the team having a direction, setting their feet one direction, knowing what they're getting into week one, I think this is probably for the best. There's a very high chance that Matt Patricia didn't even know anything about this this entire time. That is very, very possible. Cameron, you know, we are exactly, we're taping on Thursday night. We're exactly one week away from the first game of the 2020 NFL season. So I think it's a great time to talk a little fantasy right now. We're going to focus it on the Bears. Maybe we'll get into some sleepers and other teams that you like, but we'd just love to hear your thoughts on we we mentioned it briefly you know there's not a lot of guys out there that people are going to be racing up to the draft board to pick on the bears this year but some guys are definitely going to end up on rosters so maybe we can talk about you know where they're slotted ranking wise and then where you would probably prefer to draft them value wise let's start with the wide receiver room first and how do we not start with allen robinson you know allen robinson was a top nine receiver last year in fantasy this year, he's going right around the same place. Do you still like him to put up top 10 numbers? Do you think he can exceed the totals that he put up last year? Well, I got to start by saying, by prefacing, I love A-Rob. I think he's a great player. I think he's kind of the heart soul of this offense, and he's really the one that will make things work outside of the quarterback position, obviously. That being said, I do think that he's going to have a little bit of a regression and I don't see him being in the top 10. I see him closer to the 13, 14 range. And the reason I say that is not because I expect him to fall off in terms of his personal performance, but I think that the offense does have a few more weapons this year, or at least that's my hope. And in doing, and and that being the case, I think that it's just natural that he's going to have a little bit of a step back because hopefully there's more people for the ball to go around to. Um, I believe I believe a little bit in the tight end room. I'm hoping that we could see a little bit of a step up from Anthony Miller. Yeah, I am hoping that we get to see more balls going to those guys in the backfield and that this offense performs better and Allen Robinson has to carry less of the load. So I would say, you know, I still think he's borderline wide receiver one and I wouldn't be surprised if he cracks the top 10, but if I just had to, to, you know, take a guess at it right now take a stab, I would see him closer to wide receiver 13. I'm right there with you. I love A-Rob. Great player. Great person to root for. Hope we sign to extension and he can finish his uh, career a bear. That being said, I just, I'm not crazy about him as a WR1, like a wide receiver one on my fantasy team. That does not drive me wild. That means you're banking on the Chicago Bears vertical offense to carry the load for you on a fantasy team. That is something that scares me. Now, things that I do like, you know, last year he had six or more catches in a game 11 times. He has 70, more receiving, 70 or more receiving yards nine times. So there's a pretty decent floor there. But if you go through kind of his game logs, you know, there were games where the Bears offense could get anything going and he totally shipwrecked fantasy-wise. And then to your point, there were certain games where it was A-Rob or bust, where they were literally feeding him the ball over and over and over again. And he put up great numbers. But if the Bears are going to have success this season, I would also like to think that we don't see as many of those, you know, 15, 16 target games. 
and maybe a little bit of a regression in that area, maybe a little bit more balance. Maybe he doesn't have the one catch for five yards game either. I think that he can probably match himself in reception. So I do like him from a PPR perspective, but yards over a thousand yards seems like a pretty safe bet. Seven touchdowns seems like a pretty good number. I, if it goes below it, I don't see it going much lower than seven. And I don't see him going much higher than seven either. So wide receiver 13 makes a lot of sense for me, especially if you can pick him up as your second receiver on a team in that fourth round, then all of a sudden, yes, your fantasy team is looking great. Yeah, I, I think that he's like really the top tier wide receiver two spot. You know, if, if I have him, I feel confident. I'm very confident that he will come out and perform each week. I just don't expect him to have those ridiculous numbers because I just don't know that we can trust to get that sort of production from the quarterback position on a weekly basis that is required for him to be a wide receiver one. Fun little game. Let's play real quick. NFC North receivers, Devontae Adams, um, Adam Thielen, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson. Now, I think everyone would probably say Devontae Adams easily is probably number one on that list, but how would you slot those guys out two through four out of uh, those remaining three? This is tough. This is really tough. With a healthy, fully healthy uh, Matt Stafford, I love Kenny Galladay. I think Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are maybe the most underappreciated wide receiver tandem in the league. So I got to go Kenny Galladay too, just because of his downfield big play um, upside. And then again, this isn't going to make my Bears fans happy, but I, I still I still like Adam Thielen probably a little bit more uh, than Allen Robinson, just because again, it's it's a more known commodity. Uh, what he's working with with the quarterback, I think that that I think that the Vikings offense has some upside, but I think it's kind of a similar situation. Adam Thielen's going to carry a big portion of that load, although they do have a more established running game as well. I think it's it's got to be Adams. It's it goes Adams, Galladay, Thielen, A. Rob. But it's but they're four great receivers leading the division. Yeah, I just wanted to ask. I wish I had a compelling case to disagree, but I kind of don't. I mean, that's the one thing that the NFC North has going for it, right? Is four receivers in that division are among what many would consider the top ten, top twelve among all fantasy wide receivers going in these drafts. So that's going to be a little bit of a decision that you have to make there. And with Allen Robinson. I would like to think that he could outscore Adam Thielen. I probably would take Thielen first in fantasy. If you are telling me in that uh, wide receiver one conversation, I probably would feel a little bit more comfortable with Thielen probably at one over Robinson. Looking at the rest of that wide receiver core that you were talking about, I've been waiting to kind of talk to you about this for a while. Anthony Miller. Now, I know you're a former Chicago Bear, but maybe you can put a little bit more of your scout fans hat on and just kind of help us figure out what is going on with this guy tons of talent when he shows out in a game man he looks amazing he disappeared through the first month of last season he only had four receptions in four games in september what do you think is going on with him maturation wise and what do you look for him this season anthony miller it's it's time that we we take that next step you know the big the big thing is there's so many players in this league that have talent there are plenty of guys that show out in practice or show out in their combine or they show out in preseason when it comes time to the regular season, that's when we need to see guys really step up, show that they've done their work, their homework, show that they're ready when it comes to Sundays. And we just haven't seen any sort of consistency. We haven't seen it game after game. And that's a big part of this the Bears' lack of success offensively. We just don't have that second guy to go to. Miller, right now, from a fantasy perspective, we see sitting, sitting around uh, ADP around 140 You mentioned it. He's a guy who has a ton of upside, a ton of talent. We just need to see more consistency. We need to see him. I want to see him make the big play. I want to see him come down with with the the tough, tough catches. I just don't feel like he is someone that I put any amount of trust in right now. I just don't know that when the game's on the line that I can trust him to make the big play. Uh, And so... As from a fantasy owner, I'm I'm leery of drafting him too high. He's a total mystery box. I drafted him last year in fantasy thinking I was super smart. It did not work out that way at all. Granted, in those final few games, he was able to put up some fairly decent numbers that would have you consider rostering him. But I'm kind of staying away, honestly. This is a bit of a prove-it moment for me, Anthony Miller, not just as a Bears fan, but fantasy-wise too as well. I do like him in daily fantasy week one against the Lions. He has seemed to play well against them in the past and put up decent numbers. So maybe week one 
you're looking at a bargain price to finish out your, your daily fantasy lineup, maybe plugging him in. It's just my thing with Anthony Miller is everyone keeps talking about the talent and then we get a chance and we get a chance to see it. And I just felt like at times last year, if it wasn't something, it was something else with him where it would be, you know, maybe a miscommunication on a route, a weird holding penalty um, on a run play when he's a wide receiver blocking, you know, those moments when, you know, he catches that 12 yard pass and is maybe a little too jacked up with the first down arm afterwards. And you're kind of like, all right, man, get back to the huddle. Like we need to be getting in and out of these plays here. We're not exactly running this fluid offense or he, I think he got called for a couple in sportsman like penalties too, just for jawing after plays too, as well. That is just stuff that doesn't endear yourself to bears fans. And I think that it's something that I really hope that he can clean up this year because I don't think he has the luxury production wise to go out there and be goofing around and doing stuff like that. Yeah, there was an article that came out talking about Miller's performance this training camp and how he got off to a little bit of a slow start. And they're mentioning that he actually ended up having one of the best uh, training camp performances of anyone on the team. I think that's great. But like we've said, there are plenty of people who have great camps. You know, Anthony Miller, it's time. It's This, this is the time. So you've heard it. Uh, we've heard it from Coach Nike. He had an awesome training camp. There's There's entire stories and articles about it. Now let's see what happens when we go up and play Detroit. And I think we're saying with Anthony Miller fantasy-wise, you know, if he's like the last position player that you take, maybe I can wrap my head around it. But otherwise, I think he probably goes to waiver wire island to start the season. And maybe he could become a hot commodity after a first couple of weeks. Are you feeling that as well? I completely agree. And I think that's, that's partially going to be the case with just a whole bunch of Bears when it comes to fantasy-wise because until – we know what we're getting from the quarterback position. It's going to be really hard to have confidence in any of the rest of these offensive guys. You know that once he's healthy, David Montgomery will get his touches, and we know that Allen Robinson is going to see catches and see balls, but the rest of these guys are really kind of on a more of a prove-it basis, and I wouldn't feel super confident drafting too many of the Chicago Bears in, in my fantasy league. Let's hit one real quick more out of the receivers group, and then we can uh, move on to a different position. Ted Ginn Jr. trying to replace what Taylor Gabriel brought to the table last year. Taylor Gabriel at times could be considered a rostered player, especially in PPR leagues. He had a pretty decent stretch. Obviously, concussions really got to him. You know, Ted Ginn Jr., first blush, real quick. I mean, any fantasy value, do you think he could end up on a roster at some point this season, or he's just more of a – more of a dart throw, more of a catch touchdown every once in a while, call it a day kind of guy. Yeah, Ted Ginn's the type of guy that if you have him on your fantasy roster, it's likely you're not playing him when he scores, and then you play him the next week, and he won't get a he won't see a ball or get a catch for the next two or three weeks. He seems like a fantasy headache to me. On the field, he's a great player to have on your offense on a real football team because he's a take, you know, a take the top off type of wide receiver. Going to be. You know, going downfield, drawing a lot of attention, great speed, great downfield receiver, but it's more of a more of a distraction, if you will. I don't think he's the type of guy that we can really expect any sort of great productivity from, and that's why he's a definite stay away from me as a fantasy owner. Way too up and down. I would be surprised if we see more than four touchdowns from Ted Ginn. So I, that's not the type of guy, not the type of productivity that I would really even want. The floor is so low, you're almost in the basement. And I think a good day from Ted Ginn is what, like three receptions for 59 yards and a touchdown. I think that's probably, we would look at that and be like, Ted Ginn showed up today. I think he did pretty good. I don't think that translates necessarily into fantasy success. Let's move it on over. Let's go to the tight ends real quick. Cause this one, this one might be a little bit more fun. We've been giving Jimmy Graham a little bit of love out there. You know, in most rankings, he is not in the top 12 among tight ends. So in deeper leagues, if you're taking two tight ends or if you're doing a backup, you know, maybe that'll be a situation, but let's try and make a compelling case. Can Jimmy Graham become not a top five, but maybe a top 10, top 12 fantasy tight end this season? Hear me out. I'm ready for it. Oh my gosh. I've I got the I oven am, mitts on. I got the oven mitts on. You, Let's do it. You know I'm not a hot take guy, and I've been very lukewarm on this Bears offense. But I'm I've wearing decided, a tank top. I'm ready. <laughs> I've decided that if the Bears are going to be successful, someone is going to have to score, and someone is going to have to catch passes. Other, other than Allen Robinson, someone's going to have to do anything offensively, and I think it's Jimmy Graham. I've I've come all the way around on it. I think you I think you mentioned it, but ADP's got him around 
24, which would make him a tight end too, which is not a not very assuring or reassuring by any means. But I'm going to say that's wrong. I'm going to go out there on a limb. I think we've got a rejuvenated Jimmy Graham. If you watch him from some of the stuff from training camp, he definitely seems to be playing with a bit more energy, a bit more of a swagger. I think he's embraced his role in sort of bringing along Cole Komet. And if Matt Nagy offenses are successful, it de- they depend heavily and rely heavily on the presence of a tight end. I think that this offense is going to get the ball rolling at some point this year, and it's going to be because there are more weapons to throw the ball to, there are more people to get the ball to, and I think Jimmy Graham is going to be one of the big beneficiaries of this. So I'm saying, here's my bold prediction, Jimmy Graham will be a, tidy, a tight end one this year. I love it. I love hearing that to my to my Bears little ears, and wouldn't that be so great just to stick it to the cheeseheads for just cutting him loose, and we just get to see Jimmy Graham, you know, score some touchdowns, spike some footballs, maybe not dunk uh, on, the, on the field goal post, but perhaps get in the end zone a couple of times. And here's my proposal to all the fantasy freaks out there about to do drafts about Jimmy Graham. I call this the, the Deshaun Jackson rule, which is after your draft, you're drafting a bunch of guys on your team for the most part, you're buying, but with Deshaun Jackson, you're renting. It's don't get don't get comfortable, Mr. Jackson, because there are just certain guys that you think, as long as they come out of training camp healthy, could probably help your fantasy team in the first month. But you have to just lower your expectations in terms of the long-term validity of having them on your roster. So let's just say you're a guy who drafts and you're like, I don't really focus on tight end. I'm going to take a guy a little bit later. You end up with a, a Jarwin out of Dallas. You end up with a John U. Smith, Dallas Goddard out of Philly. Go down the list and you're like, man, I need a second guy. I think Jimmy Graham is the perfect second guy in that scenario. So you're trying to take your tight end one, hoping it works out. You take Jimmy Graham on the back end towards the end of your draft. And then honestly, I would try and start him as much as I could, as long as he's producing those first like six weeks or so. And from that point, after those five or six weeks, probably make a decision, either trade him. If he starts to fall off a little bit, don't cry any tears about letting him go, knowing that this is what you're buying into because a guy like him, a veteran presence, who's healthy, if he comes out of the gate swinging those first couple of weeks, you know he really could be that TE1 for a little while. Now, can he stay healthy? Can he stay productive over a 16-game schedule? Who knows? We'll see. But I'm right there with you where I think Jimmy Graham could be one of the most important offensive weapons that we have for the first month of September. Therefore, I think he's definitely worth owning in fantasy. You know, I would obviously wait for him. I would not draft him as your tight end one and then go to sleep being like, I'm set. I would have a backup plan. But I'm right there with you. I mean, don't you think in that maybe that first month, if he is showing out in camp, you know, he could be putting up some nice numbers for this Bears team. I'm going to cool down off of my hot take when I say this, Joey. When you say that you wouldn't draft Jimmy Graham and go to bed and say, I'm set, there's really not a Bear that I would just say, oh, I'm set, other than the defense and Allen Robinson. But that's a big but, and I cannot lie. I do believe that he does have high upside. I do believe that we can expect a bounce back. I am on the Jimmy Graham train. This pod is white hot right now. I'm sweating. So maybe let's get a bucket of cold water real quick. And let's walk through people that are listening to the pod that have never really played fantasy football before. Huge Bears fans. Sometimes they go into the draft and they want to draft all Bears. Let's just talk about Cole Komet from a fantasy perspective. All right. You know, our draft pick, we're super excited. He's the future. But just help help the audience out here why drafting Cole Komet isn't going to be a great idea in fantasy just for this year. Cole Komet is coming into this offense, and he may have an on-the-field contribution. I'm not sure how much of it is going to be as a big-time uh, receiving threat. Uh, he's going to be playing on the field oftentimes with Jimmy Graham, I think, I think that we're going to see him more in blocking roles, more in uh, more in sort of not decoy roles, but not necessarily being a big down-the-field threat. And he's not definitely not going to be someone that you can expect consistency from. So when I'm looking at that tight end position, I'm looking for someone that can give me, you know, some some amount of consistency. I don't want to have I don't want to have swings and misses from my tight end position. And I think anytime you're taking a tight end two as as a fantasy player you're already getting into hot water, especially an unproven commodity like Cole Komet. So I would stay away from him uh, from a fantasy perspective. Minimize risk. That's the name of the fantasy game a lot of times. And 
look, we like him. Let's just let him play and just watch him mature and prove it out there in the field. Don't bring the fantasy football into it. You've got money riding on that thing for crying out loud. You know, I mean, go to bet online and bet on the Bears, but just stay away from Cole Komet and just let him learn the position and learn his way through the NFL. And then we can worry about it next year. You know, unless you're in the deepest of dynasty leagues, go for it. Even in a keeper situation, I would stay away from it because historically, go through the numbers. I don't have them specifically, but rookie tight ends rarely get on the field. It doesn't work. You're right. And even if it does, it doesn't happen until later in the year, second half in the season. You know, fantasy tight end rookie tight ends they do not mix so just don't just stay away from it even some of the best ones you know guys that went on to hall of fame careers didn't necessarily produce at that type of clip in their first year and we're just here we're here to help you we're not here to hurt you we're just saying just leave cole commit alone let's move on to the running backs not a lot to say about david montgomery other than the fact that he is injured doesn't look like he's going to play week one maybe plays week two it is a groin injury He's still going to get drafted, Cameron. So in the past, you know, he was going round three, round four. At this point, would you be comfortable taking him at that same value, or would you have to wait a couple of rounds before you'd pounce on David Montgomery? I think that it's inevitable that this injury is going to make him drop just a little bit. I'm not going to hold it against him and say that he's going to drop and fall off a cliff, but... We don't know when he will be back and when he comes back, what sort of position he will be in and what sort of condition he'll be in. And last year, you know, he did have, he started to trend upward by the end of things, but it's still, still a little unproven, just like much of his bears offense. So he's not someone that I'm willing to, to, to reach too high for. I would say he falls back around or so. So fifth, sixth, I'm happy with a David Montgomery. He was already sitting in an, in an RB2 uh, standpoint for me, and, and I think this only hurts him just a little bit. But if if he does fall to that fifth or sixth round, I'm excited. I'm I'm stoked to get a guy like that that late. But I but I'm not I'm not going to be comfortable picking him in that third or fourth round still. Yeah, the upside is there, but pairing him as your number two running back or the second running back that you take in the fantasy draft is probably off the table. And on top of that, keep that in mind that if you do take him in that fifth or sixth round as let's just say your third running back on your roster, you still are going to have to do work later in the draft to identify someone that you know that can play right away. That's when maybe you look into, I don't know, a Latavius Murray in New Orleans right now with the Kamara situation. You look into Boston Scott on Philadelphia with the Miles Sanders injury, you know, even Chase Edmonds, you know, but I think my advice would be, Definitely, if you can get him in that fifth or sixth round, great. You're going to have to protect yourself. And, you know, every single week you have to win as many fantasy games as you can, but there is you can take a little bit of a long-term lens at some point. So if you do want to stash Montgomery, you can do it. The one thing that I would probably would not recommend is if you take Montgomery, then taking Tariq Cohen a couple of rounds later because you think that he's the guy that's going to be there week one. I'll be honest with you. I I did a draft four or five days ago. He definitely got taken again, I think, in the eighth or ninth round. I personally, I just don't get it. I understand his talent, but from a fantasy perspective specifically, he is just so volatile in terms of when you think you can and can't start him. And we mentioned it before. His receptions went up last year, but his yards per catch was cut in half. It went from like 10.2 to 5.4. You know, can he bounce back to the 10? Who knows? Can he even split that difference? We'll see. I just don't think Tariq Cohen is very fantasy viable. Shame on me. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong at all. Like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, a lot of fantasy success is just minimizing risk. And I think that as great of an athlete as Tariq Cohen is, he's just very, very, very volatile. You hit the nail on the head. He's not someone that we can uh, count on to have consistency in the running game we can count on him to get some passes out of the backfield which is great for upside but like you said even last year more catches less yards so what does that mean he's just not someone that i feel very comfortable carrying my offensive load uh workload and man i think the eighth round is a stretch i'm looking at Tariq closer to 9 10 even he does have the he's one of those guys that he could pop he could pop one big one at any point and make you feel stupid, but he's going to be on your bench when it happens. I, I don't like guys that are swinging a miss or, or hit or miss big, you know, big time guys like that. It's just I'd rather have a more consistent player 
and and that's kind of where I'm at with a guy like Tariq. All we heard last year was we just got to get Tariq in space. We got to scheme him into space, and then everything will be fine. Well, 16 games went by, and we never really did that. You know, his he had something like seven 20-plus yard reception slash runs in 2018 that went down to two last year. You know, he just wasn't really able to pop off those big plays. And as talented as the guy might be, it is a little bit of a question of can Matt Nagy scheme – I'm sure it can scheme him open into space, but can they get an offensive rhythm with whatever's going on, quarterback, running game, vertical passing game, whatever it may be, can they actually get that scheme going where they can even get into those plays? They weren't even able to get to that level of Matt Nagy's deep offensive playbook last year, and I think the jury is a little bit out of whether they can do that in 2020. And until that happens, Tariq Cohen for me is just not a guy I want on my fantasy roster. And the crazy thing is with him being the RB1, the presumed RB1 week one for the Bears. Terrifying. It's, it's horrifying. And I have no idea what to expect. You know, we've seen some, we've seen, what was it, week one against the Packers where it seemed like Nagy like blew his, blew his creative load and just came out and, and just threw the kitchen sink out there offensively with everything he had. And that, I, that could be the case this year. I have no idea, but... I don't want to be the guy who has too much stock in Tariq Cohen and who knows, he could very well make me sound very stupid for saying that against, against the lions, the bears seem to have their number, but I'm not tying my, my success to, to having Tariq Cohen and maybe have a big game, but have a lot, a lot more duds. I hope he does. I love it when the bears offense proves us wrong. Right. It's great. (laughs) I'll be fine with that. I'll be totally fine with that. And man, you brought up a great point. I'll never forget the first pod that I did for believe podcast network was after that bears Packers game. And I thought I was going off this like hyperbole, hot take oven, hot, you know, freight train. And I said, you know what? That was the worst game I've seen Matt Nagy coach since he became coach of the bears. And outside of the Philadelphia game, that first half of the Philadelphia game, was insane. I, I, I can't even – I almost blacked out. I don't even really remember that game very well. But that Packers game, man, you hit it like just all of a sudden he hit this brick wall. And instead of, you know, maybe calming things down or trying to find balance or stability, he just kept throwing these different stuff out there. And, like, literally it was like the last five minutes of Varsity Blues where he was trying to do every little gimmicky, the annexation of Puerto Rico, and nothing was working. <laughs> yeah, the hook and ladder, exactly. The okey-doke, five receivers, holy moly, out there. And it sort of turned into the situation where it became a problem all season where it seemed like Nagy's confidence got shaken a little bit very early on. And this all ties into Tariq Cohen and whether he'll be able to be a viable off- ascending offensive player in 2020. Let's get to the quarterbacks. Here we go. And let's just keep it let's keep this very simple because I think we know the truth on both sides and we're rooting for both of them, but which one we don't know who the starter is right now, but which one from a fantasy perspective would you prefer to consider to own at some point this season, Mitchell Trubisky or Nicholas Foles? I'm not going to think about this too long and too hard. If I have to have either of them on my fantasy team, I'm not in a good position. That being said, you're in trouble. One of them. Yeah. (laughs) You're in a lot of trouble. That being said, one of them has a lot more upside with his legs and that would be Mitch. So if I've got to have one, I, I, I like the idea of having Mitch having some sort of mobile upside, being able to, to get rushing yards and, and pick up some, some bonus scrap yards, if you will. So I would take Mitch, but that's that's maybe me being a little optimistic and hoping that he can get back to 2018, uh, Mitchell Trubisky and being the Pro Bowl quarterback and having the having the success and getting outside the pocket and, and being, you know, a little bit more of a dual threat guy. So if I had to choose between the two, I'm going Trubisky. What do you say, Joey? Nick Foles, there's no way I'm going to own him in no way, no how, unless – both my quarterbacks have both their legs broken and somehow the third guy <laughs> somehow the third guy uh, just quits and retires. Uh, just the, the whole concept of starting Nick Foles. Look, when you have a fancy roster, I do think about this sometimes of how I draft and how I put my lineup together. You do want when your opponent pulls up that matchup Friday, Saturday night, and is like, oh, who am I playing this week? You do want your opponent to look at that roster and fear you just a little bit. 
and maybe get them thinking about changing out their flex and getting a little sexier with a higher ceiling guy. Just mess with their heads a little bit. Let me tell you, Nick Foles scares no one. If he's in your fantasy roster, when you're looking at him, you're like, oh, well, finally, this is a feel good week. I can finally get back on track because this guy's starting Nick Foles. Fantastic. And the thing about that is that I'm not sure that Foles is not the better actual quarterback, but from a fantasy standpoint, these two guys are so bland that the little bit of sprinkle that Mitch Trubisky provides with his legs is just enough to tempt me a little bit more. So they're neither neither is exciting at all. They are both near the bottom of the uh, startable quarterback category or the top of an overqualified backup category. We're calling it tier eight here on Believe in Bears, the tier eight <laughs> of, of quarterbacks. They're the very, very, very telling. Yeah, the percentage probability of these guys putting up huge fantasy numbers and ripping it up on offense is very low. Follow, just follow-up question and we can get off of them. Mitch Trubisky, how many games of fantasy quality performances would it take in a row for you to – consider and feel confident about bringing him onto your roster this season two four six oh man because you know he can get on a heater but then it then all of a sudden all of a sudden he'll Let's hit say, a, he'll hit a dud like sexy rexy like it's nobody's business like 2005 <laughs> i think if he can string together three straight solid games to start you, the season think about it i would think about it i'm still not ready to play him and put him into my QB one slot, but I might bring him in for a tryout if he can put together three solid weeks in a row. Yeah, if you do like salary cap, uh, salary cap waivers, which one of my leagues does, I'm saying like I would consider it, but I'm putting in like three bucks. I'm not thinking, I'm not going out to dinner on this one. I'm just like, hey, if I get it, I get it. Great. Yeah, you could eat. Off, you could eat off the McDonald's uh, dollar menu. Yeah, I feel the, <laughs> the daily toe. Mitch Trubisky, the fillet of fish. Of fantasy quarterbacks in 2020, you heard it. Actually, that's solid. That's solid. It's true. It's not. It's not that far off. He's not the happy meal. We're not even. We're not even there yet. Let's end it on a happy note with the fantasy talk with uh, the Bears defense. You know, a lot of rankings got them four, five. I've seen even as high as three. But not to get into too much detail because I want you to go first. I definitely think this defense could possibly be, again, the number one fantasy defense in the NFL. Do you feel the same way? And do you think that four or five ranking is appropriate? I think they do have the potential to be up. They're definitely in that top tier. Like you said, sitting four or five, kind of depending on where you're looking. I have them sitting at four on my own personal rankings. I do think that they have the upside to get into that top two, top three conversation. Obviously the 49ers and the Ravens, I think are just kind of in a tier of their own. Those two, uh, the pass rush that they're able to get, the turnovers that they're able to create, those those two I think are kind of a little bit out there in front. But I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bears could potentially, potentially get into uh, that top, top three realm. I have the Steelers also uh, in front of them, but it's close. It's, and, I, I, the thing that I think could get the uh, Bears back into that top level is going to be, you know, the return, and we talk about it every week, but I think it's truly that impactful, is the return of a healthy Akeem Hicks, his effect on the entire defense, and we hit it home every, every time, but we, it can't be stated enough. If he's healthy, although there does seem to be some rumblings coming out of uh, Hallis Hall that, he has not been himself for a while now. But if he is fully healthy, I think he's going to have a huge impact having the, the pass rushers, getting Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller, those guys, the opportunities to go out and make big plays in the secondary. I, I do think that with a fully healthy group, they could be a top three defense. Yeah, the reason why I think that the Bears, and let me just be clear, you have San Francisco, Baltimore Steelers ahead of the Bears. Does that sound right? Yeah, in some yeah. sort of order? Easily, I think, top four, top five, that makes a lot of sense. You know, for everyone that's listening, you know, and you're in your fantasy leagues in Chicago, the Bears are always going to go around. Bears defense is always going to go a couple rounds uh, earlier than you probably would like it to. I just think that they have some nice upside this year. You know, the turnovers obviously regressed last year. I still think that that number can go up. Maybe not exactly achieve 2018 heights, but maybe somewhere in that middle. So you are getting that bump in that front. 
I do think with Robert Quinn, the sacks can be in that easy plus 40 category. Maybe they can even get to 50, maybe 55. That works a lot for me as well from a fantasy perspective. And there is a situation where, let's play it out, if it does become Nick Foles for the majority amount of games, there could be a lot of situations where it's 13 and 10 with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and the Bears are more than content to just run the football and play defense. So I do think that there is a possibility that the Bears' points allowed can be on the lower end this year as well, depending on what league you're in. If they count Cordero Patterson touchdowns on special teams, I'll let you start that out with the commissioner in your respective league. But yeah, I mean, I think that they can definitely have a bounce back. Four or five seems like an appropriate place. But man, I think that they could be a number one one more time with Khalil Mack at the helm of that defense. I think you're definitely right. If they do reach the the highest points, if they come out and they play at their absolute best, if everyone's healthy, if they create turnovers, if they get the sacks like they should, and we see Akeem back, if we see Khalil back, if we see them both back and healthy, sure. Number one is definitely within their reach. The Bears defense. Before we get out of here, Cameron, I just want to ask you, you know, you've got some drafts coming up. I know you do this weekend. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, some of your fantasy leagues, some traditions, and uh, you know, you got a, you got a back home league. Do you got an ex players league? What kind of fantasy football do you get into? So I'm one of these guys that I'm like kind of an all or nothing type dude. I've been an all or nothing type dude in my relationships, in my friendships, in my fantasy league. So for a while, I was playing in two leagues. One time I got into three leagues, one at work and one at, with my college friends and one with my back home league. But I believe, and you you are probably more of a fantasy expert than me, but I believe that you can truly, truly, truly only be truly loyal to one league. And, and some people split time, but I, you know, like that to me, that sounds like a divorce, you know, like that's a divorce. That's, you, you can't be splitting your attention. So I've, even throughout all this, I, I've always had one true league now I only play in the one. It's my back home league. It's the league uh, with me and most of my friends from my childhood. And we have an absolute blast. When you ask traditions, I do have a very, very, very important tradition. And the tradition is that I always finish in second place. That... <laughs> yeah. That's right. Perennial. Se- perennial silver medal, folks. Seven seasons, five runner-up trophies. So it's, you know, it's... It's, we're pretty serious, me and second place. We've been together a long time now, and uh, I'm thinking I might get back there this year. And I'm just assuming you guys are going to get a nice little Zoom together. Maybe all order your own set of chicken wings and just eat them over a Zoom while you all draft in the next coming days. Yeah, man, the draft is normally one of the best parts of – I mean, the draft is probably the best part of any fantasy football season, you know, having all the guys get together. We One of my best friends is an excellent – is a master on, on the grill. He's a little uh, barbecue – barbecue savant if you will his own sauces custom sauces going he's he's a legend and so we all like to go over there and and get together which is always fun just because we don't see each other a ton anymore and and just mac on some good old barbecue but yeah in this you know in the COVID era i'm going to be sitting at home like roger goodell eating m&ms out of a jar on, on my zoom call but you know you got to make the best of it and make the most of the situation so i'll definitely be going to my whiteboard you know, got to have all the numbers and the names and all my rankings and tiers drawn up. But it's definitely going to be different this year. Yeah, this might be one of my least favorite changes to 2020 is that I'm not going to be able to go to any fantasy drafts and, and hang out with friends. I'm right there with you. I was doing four leagues for a while. I'm back down to three. I had a back home league for a long time, but I actually left that six years ago because it was just hard. I had to like call it in and They were always on their schedule. They had a great time. They'd make chili. They'd get after it, do everything. Now, just like my children, I don't have any, but I love all of my fantasy leagues equally, but I will tell you the one league that is my favorite is this league called Tap Ball, and it's times are tough, but always love life. And let me tell you, man, we get after it in this league. It's a 12-team league. We always go to somebody's house. One of the dudes brings over a ton of sound equipment and, like, pipes in walk-up music. And we like announce the picks like on a microphone. We order a bunch of dominoes that is just awful for our stomachs and drink tequila and have this great time. And it's pretty incredible. We have a championship belt that each we have. We, we usually would see each other at the Super Bowl and hang out. We have a championship belt and then we sign it after you win. 
and then you do a transfer of power at the Super Bowl. So you hand the belt over to next year's winner. And then the dude, the, the dude that was the, each commissioner is the champion for the following year. And the dude that won last year got us all rings, got us all these like, you know, these faux championship rings with the years on them. So they're all different. So if you like, if you got a ring, he like handed them all out. I tell you, one of the guys in the league is like a mathematician. And then he goes in and he does like this spreadsheet. So I know like my all time wins in this league over 10 years and like our playoff records and our greatest victories and our greatest losses and so on and so forth. And it's amazing. I'm not going to get a chance to see those guys. And I am bummed. I'm bummed. That, that's tough, man. That sounds like you guys, you guys do it right. But I have to ask, when you guys step up to the microphone and announce your picks, do you do like, say, Edo Smith with the same amount of vigor and enthusiasm and charisma as you do, say, Devontae Adams or Allen Robinson? By the end of that, are, are guys just like, uh, oh. I'll, take, <laughs> I'll take the Browns defense. <laughs> After a couple tequila slugs, we start screaming at each other to like hurry up on your picks, and we're like, you know, you're taking the Minnesota defense, man. Just get your ass up there and just make the pick don't, already. Don't be that guy. A little fantasy advice: don't be the guy that makes everyone else wait with your pick. Know what you're doing. Have a plan. We know what you're taking, Edo Smith. All right, we all know that you're doing it. You're literally looking at it right now. So just do it and let us move on with our lives, please. Somebody. And while we're at it, and while we're at it, don't take Edo Smith. <laughs> yeah, RB seventy nine. Don't take Edo Smith. That's gonna be the drop right there. And um, family members, does does your wife play fantasy? Do your family members play fantasy? And have you ever played in a league with them? My wife hates everything that I do that she is not involved in. Like actually despises it, hates it. It's it's probably unhealthy. The amount of uh, the amount of frustration that she displays anytime that I'm doing anything that she's not involved in. So fantasy football hates pickup basketball hates golf hates running for a mar- or training for a marathon hates. I was gonna if say I'm like not a- dragging a uh, tire uh, across the the backyard lawn or <laughs> pulling a fire she, truck. She hates. she hates she hates that the fact that I'm on a podcast right now and we should be cuddling. Hates. hates. Yeah, so basically she hates you. She hates everyone to play fantasy with. She hates the NFL. Why doesn't she play? Her. Why won't she just play fantasy? She should just give it a try. She didn't even like football when I played it. I don't think she's going to grasp it all of a sudden. But she hasn't played fantasy football. I tell you, it's a totally it's a totally different cat, baby. Quote Austin Powers. But uh <laughs> no, my, I've been playing in a league with my wife the last I think 3 years now. And at first, I will admit, she was reluctant. But now that when she got into it, the competitive juices started flowing. And let me tell you, there's not, I bet you there's probably nothing better than, like, for, for her to, like, beat her husband in fantasy. It feels so good. It, it feels so amazing. And she, she gets into it. And actually, my, my wife's really good. She did make a, a critical error last year out of hubris. But I will say the year previous, you want to hear what the critical error was? I, w- I would love to. Fill me in. Huge Steelers fan from Beaver County, repping all the Yinzers out there. She took Juju Smith first overall. That because, would be that because would be he mistake. was top ten last year, and she was like, and and her name was Beetle Juju Juice. Uh, it was a movie themed fantasy league, and that was her name. And she was like, "Fuck it, I need him to go with the name. I'm not getting him in the second round." So she just took him right away. Not only was it an overreach, but the dude had like the worst season as, as a pro last year. And it's been hard living ever since. But he should return. I'm, I'm thinking that Juju will make a little bit of a comeback with yes. Big Ben back. Yes. So, we're, so in, yeah. we're, we're in Steelers therapy right now where I think there's a lot of Steelers that should be drafted in fantasy this year. But we're already discussing the parameters of of what is and what isn't too early to draft the Juju. I think Juju will be around if it comes back around the second round. I think 18 through 30, 32, I think you're going to have plenty of chances at, at grabbing him. So I think you might not have to pounce as hard this year. So not number one overall? No, not this year, no. Sure, well, like, you know, being ahead of the curve, like me and my graphic tees collection. 
yes. five years ago where nothing but graphic tees. My wife told me, hey, you look stupid. So I got rid of all of them. And now all of a sudden she's coming home with Led Zeppelin t-shirts and, and ACDC t-shirts. And I'm like, hey, you don't even know a single Led Zeppelin song. But that's not really what this podcast is about. Hey, let me tell you, you remember in the early 2000s when everyone in the Midwest started wearing a goatee? I started that. Just just so you know. <laughs> wow. I had no idea that, that you had such such power. I started that and Paul Canerco took it home. The the goatee with the soul patch thing, man, I rocked that for years and I just feel like people copied that uh, to no end. And that thing is gone. There are no more goatees really out there in the world. Aaron Rowan is toast. <laughs> wow. Thank you for dropping all of my favorite mid-2000s Chicago White Sox in one, one reference. That was awesome. Before we get out of here, Pablo Ozuna, um, uh, hoops real quick. I just want to, I just want to, let's do like a couple quick minutes on hoops. You know, the Raptors won with 0.5 seconds left tonight, basically a season saver. They're down 2-1. Bucks are down 2-0 to the Miami Heat, just in the East right now. Do you think two of the, one, two of those favorites can come back or neither of them? If I had to choose one, I'd like the Raptors chances more so than I like the Bucks. I don't know what it is about the Bucks, but you know, it's kind of, I guess, maybe similar to the way that we've talked about James Harden and the Rockets all these years. Some people just, you, you're regular season guys. And when it comes down to, to crunch time, if it's coaching, if it's just nerves or whatever it may be, some guys are just built for the playoffs. And I think it was, uh, who, who was it? I think it was Stephen A. Smith or someone that said that, uh, that Giannis might be more Pippin than Jordan or something. Someone said that, Ooh. but <laughs> that, he might, it starts, it starts for Greek freak. The honeymoon's over, right? Yeah. He's going to win back-to-back MVPs, but then quickly be turned into, can he, he does a game? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does he have it? I love the way that the, that the Celtics have come out and played in that series against the Raptors. The Raptors were a team that early on in the bubble process, I made the bold prediction of saying that they're going to be the team to make it out of the East. And I still don't think that's impossible, but I think I may have been a little overstating it. Uh, they're not getting tremendous. They're not getting the play from their bench, which I think is really kind of the advantage that I gave them over the Celtics in this series, having seven, eight, nine guys deep, whereas the Celtics typically really play six guys consistently, and then you're getting down to Robert Williams and his cancer, the Time Lord or Wanamaker. And so I really thought that the depth of the Raptors would carry them through this series, especially without Hayward. Um, but they, you know, they were able to come back tonight, claw their way back. I still think that they've got a shot. But, I mean, the way that the Heat have come out and played against the Bucks, the number of bodies and different guys and the, just the overall toughness that they play with against a team like the Bucks, that, that series seems like a wrap to me, which is it's really too, too bad because I want to see Giannis take the leap. And I don't know what it is, but when you watch basketball, basketball is the sport that I most think that you can just sense the intangible things. And what I mean by that is, Oftentimes you can look at a basketball, uh, look at the basketball court and just identify that guy's the best player. I just know it. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo in almost every scenario, I look at on the floor and go, that's the best player. There's really no question about it, but Jimmy Butler's an alpha dog. He's the alpha dog. He just is. Yeah. Jimmy Butler just carries himself with a swagger and an intensity, and he doesn't have to score that many points to have his impact be felt everywhere else. And that's not to say that Giannis's impact isn't being felt elsewhere, but Jimmy just kind of carries this team, and they all just like have a little bit of dog in them. And I don't even know, I, you know, they just kind of show up on the floor and they're like, "We belong here. We're better than you." And the Bucks kind of look like, "Oh yeah, I mean, you, you probably are." You know, even all the way down to Coach Bud, who I think is a tremendous coach and will and is the coach of the year, but he just they just don't seem to they almost look outclassed. Yeah, I'm gonna rip off a bunch of thoughts. Yeah, Jimmy shot only eight times and they won that game. You know, and, and that's a lot just his presence on the court and the way he's able to orchestrate their offense. You can just tell there's a difference. You know, I'm pretty sure the Bucks packed a bag when they went into the bubble, but I think they forgot to pack defense. When they went in there because, dude, they were a great regular season defensive team, and now they're giving up 116 points on the regular. And this has been going on all month in the bubble. This isn't just, you know, the Miami Heat. And the Miami Heat, they seem like they, they, they're the team that's already won a championship before. You're right. They've got, like, that, squat, that swagger, that grit. And I'm just sort of thinking, like, I'm wondering if Giannis is in that place that, like, LeBron was in. 
when he was on those Cavs teams, and man, they were amazing. They won a ton of games. They won every single game at home, and then they got to the playoffs, and all the warts sort of came out. And the Bucks don't have the luxury of playing at home right now. Not to say, you know, the situation in Wisconsin, notwithstanding whether that even would be a good idea right now, but they don't have that home court advantage right now. And it's all sort of, you know, is Chris Middleton a number two? Eh, we're kind of finding out, eh, maybe not. You know, Robin Lopez has been inactive. You know, their size has sort of been decimated a little bit. And Coach Bud, I like him, but Giannis only played 36 minutes last night in a playoff game that you kind of need to win, dude. I mean, we've been doing 12 minutes. That's a full quarter, man, where you don't have the two time MVP on the floor and it's the playoffs. You, and it's not like they've been playing 82 games. Why aren't you jacking that up to at least 40, 44? It's, it's crazy because that's the same approach that they took all year and all year they were winning games and all year they were blowing guys out or blowing teams out and it worked, but this is the playoffs. And that's what kind of the point we're making. Some guys are built for it. Like Chris Paul said, uh, prior to being eliminated, but some guys seem to be built for it. Some guys seem to have an understanding of that. And I just don't know. There's just something about the way the, the bucks play that when we get to these crunch time minutes, there's just like that toughness that I just don't see. And it's really from, it's all the way across the board. And that's what I like so much about the heat right now is they've got just the perfect mix of just tough guys and they've got these like confident young guys that just have no fear like when Tyler Hero's on the floor just not a not an ounce of fear in his body him he's the shooter Duncan Robinson a shooter Kelly Olynyk these guys that you're just look at and you're thinking what's he going to do in playoff minutes well they're not afraid they're not afraid at all and I don't know if that's guys like Iguodal and Crowder and Butler and Dragic who just and Adebayo who are just out there instilling the confidence of these dudes but they've got the perfect combination of irrational confidence guys Dion waiters type guys if you will uh to point it back to a, a former member of the heat but they've just got the perfect mix of guys that really have no fear and good shooters and they're well coached and they play good defense and they just are just balls to the wall type dudes i love it a bunch of dogs out there couple crafty veterans some homegrown developed lottery picks and other drafted undrafted second round drafted picks and jimmy butler man if only the bulls could have had that dang what you know what a world that would be if we could have been in that scenario but i digress i'm with you the raptors i think had the best chance of probably coming back and making that a long series you know we'll see what happens i mean kemba played really well tonight for boston i think that one might go toe-to-toe all the way and it might just come down to like tonight a last second shot and we'll get you out here on this you know i I don't know if there's a lot of debate, but is there any compelling case to make that the Western Conference Finals is not an L.A. versus L.A. situation? The Rockets, I believe, are the only team to beat the Lakers by more than 10 points twice this year. Okay. That being said, no. Okay. <laughs> that was good, Your Honor. I rest my case. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually no. really impressed because I, I really honestly can't come up with a lot of compelling reasons why in a seven game series it's not going to be clippers lakers in the conference finals but i'm glad that you, you brought something there that at least makes me think that yeah may, may, they can steal a couple games right the rockets are the most gimmick the most gimmicky regular season style team and i just believe that when you get on the playoffs get on the court in the playoffs they're I, they gave it everything they had to get past this this Thunder team, and the Lakers are in a completely different class. LeBron and AD are going to have their way with this team that refuses to play a center, or I suppose if you consider P.J. Tucker to be a legitimate center in the NBA nowadays, I'm taller than P.J. Tucker. I, I just don't – I find it very hard to believe that, that those guys just don't go in there with the confidence of a team that is led by LeBron who's played in – a thousand NBA finals and they just don't run right through this team. And because of that small lineup, I think LeBron is going to average probably a triple double in that series. You know, he's been leading the league in assists all year. You got to think that he's going to be able to grab some boards in the paint, do some of that post up Carl Malone stuff that he likes to pretend to flash that he does every once in a while. And I think he'll be able to work inside and have probably a pretty efficient series. Of course. And if, while we're just making our way around all of it, we'll let's just go ahead and hit on the Clippers versus Denver. It took, 
It took every ounce of energy that that Jamal Murray has to get them to Game Seven. It took uh, a driveway dad move from Nikola Jokic tossing one up. So over Rudy. Could you see the pit stains? You know what I mean, coming down the ring of his chest, like the YMCA sleeveless sweater that he probably had on when that hook shot dropped. The my favorite thing about. Nikola Jokic is that in the NBA now there's so many young, exciting, passionate guys who get a bucket and they scream and they go crazy. They pound their chest. They look at the camera. And Nikola Jokic is just an ice cold. He's never good. It's never bad. He just does his thing and then awkwardly runs runs back down the floor. But there was like a point, I think it was in like game one when Jokic and Jamal Murray had like a really good play. And then they had like this super awkward exchange where like Murray ran up to him and was like trying to, to dap him up or like do something. And Jokic just kind of awkwardly threw his chest at him. And it just looked like, it looked like two best buds from like the third grade who hadn't seen each other the entire quarantine and didn't know how to react to each other. I don't, I don't one know went what for, do with my hands. What do I do with my hands? One went for a hug and the other went for a chest bump. And it was just... It didn't work, but I, anyway, I digress. This uh, this team, though, the the Clippers, just way too much, way too much de- uh, defensive flexibility and positional flexibility. I love their wings. I don't know that Michael Porter is ready. Uh, I, I know that Michael Porter is not ready for this moment. I expect Kawhi to eat his eat his shorts, if you will. I I don't know that the that anyone on the Nuggets is ready to play at this level uh, in a game of this magnitude. Although, if Jamal Murray has it, I'm not going to be surprised. He has been a revelation, but my uh, all, all the money I have, go ahead and put that on the clips. Yeah, Clippers won tonight, 120-97. That is a final for that game. So, yeah, they win by 23. And, dude, you hit it right on the head. I mean, Porter ended up playing 23 minutes, but I think he was at eight minutes somewhere in the third quarter. So you just can't have him on the court there when PG and Kawhi are out there on the court. He's getting swallowed up. He only shot two and nine. And the only reason why we're mentioning him specifically is that he was a pleasant surprise for them in the first round, a guy that was coming in and making plays. And all of a sudden that gets taken away from a team that needs all hands on deck to beat the Clippers. It's just not looking good. Yeah. I like a lot of the stuff about MPJ. I love his offensive upside, but when we get to the playoffs, playoffs uh, but when you get to the playoffs it's so much more important that you're able to play on both ends of the floor that you're able to provide that defense and he just looks clueless on the defensive end of the floor and he's admitted that he doesn't know the rotations he doesn't understand playing defense at this level and you get out there and you're going against a guy like Kawhi or a guy like PG or even a, a even a Morris or or whoever it may be they are going to eat him alive and Kawhi's gonna get to the Kawhi's gonna get to his spots. He's the best to ever do it. And I don't see the Nuggets who are a absolutely a train wreck defensively having any chance to stop this team. Cameron, we're almost a week away from Bears versus Lions. We are gonna get Thursday night football Chiefs Texans coming up. Next week is gonna be a big week, man, and we have got tons of great stuff coming on Believe in Bears, pregame analysis, predictions, bold predictions. We're gonna stay in the hot take oven maybe a couple of times next week. It's an exciting time. We're gonna get our rest. But I think it's gonna do it for this episode, man. Take us home. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Bears podcast. Go ahead and drop us a like, subscribe to us, give us a rating and a review. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and heed our fantasy advice. Joey's an expert. I've come in second place a whole bunch of times in my life. So I think I think you, uh, we're going to keep providing you guys great content, and we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.